Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. How you doing on this Thursday? Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Newton, Georgia. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, Backwoods Barbecue, and Planet Fitness. And on the show today, I've got Justin Dale. He's here to talk Georgia football, the Atlanta Braves, and the Atlanta Falcons, as we have got a great show for you, as tonight, I'm actually calling a high school football game, as majority of the high school football games in the Chattahoochee Valley has been moved to tonight because of inclement weather Friday night. So my high school football show is going to be a little bit different tomorrow as I'm basically going to recap half the games and then preview games if they're going to be played. Obviously, if there's heavy thunderstorms with lightning, then they cannot play. But I will be calling the game between Glenwood and Bessemer Academy on the CW Jabama and Beam alongside my broadcast partner, Corey Bank. And I also have a very special announcement here on the show. Starting Monday, I will be Monday through Friday from 5 to 6 on WQEE. So you'll get an hour of this show five days a week. That is going to be great because we are going to have a format, going to have some guests. I plan on getting Corey Bank on the show on Mondays and Fridays, and then my normal guests. Well, the Atlanta Braves are currently a half game behind the New York Mets after sweeping the Oakland Athletics as they had an afternoon contest in Oakland, and they won the game 7-3. to A whopping 5,332 fans were at the Oakland Coliseum. Shocking. The Atlanta Braves will gather and head up. I guess they're going to fly to Seattle or are they going to go up I-5 to uh, Seattle to take on the Seattle Mariners for a three-game series. So if you are watching the standings in the New York Mets currently with a half a game lead because they swept the doubleheader against the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday, The New York Mets will travel to Miami to take on the Marlins for a three-game series. So it looks like this pennant race is going to go down to the wire. And to think, the New York Mets had a a 10.5-game lead on June 1st, and they squandered that lead. And here comes the Atlanta Braves charging down the stretch. We got a big NFL game tonight. You got the Buffalo Bills traveling to SoFi to take on the Los Angeles Rams. The Bills are favored by two and a half. The Bills are a lot of people's favorites to win the Super Bowl this year. Are you sure you want to take that? Are you sure? We saw how great those Buffalo Bills teams were in the 1990s, and they could not win a Super Bowl. 
But Josh Allen has elevated himself to that tier of quarterbacks along with Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers. That tier of quarterbacks, tier one, as I would like to call them. And the Bills do have some flaws. Even though they're the most talented team, in my mind, they still have a lot of flaws. Their offensive line is a little shaky. They don't have an elite running back. They do have an elite defense, but they are missing their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable. But Ken Dorsey, he's going to be that up-and-coming offensive coordinator. I'd watch out for Ken Dorsey. I think that that he could be a candidate for a head coaching position next season. That's somebody to keep an eye on. Ken Dorsey, the former quarterback that played for the University of Miami in the early 2000s, probably some of the greatest college football teams of all time. Well, I think it's about that time to bring on Justin Dale. So don't go anywhere. I'm going to have Justin on the show. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to the show. And on the show today, I got Justin Dale here to talk everything Georgia football and the Atlanta Braves. It's been a great weekend, Justin. Uh, What's going on? Not much, man. Uh, Thank you for having me back on the show. Exciting weekend in sports. Labor Day weekend is always fun because it's, you know, I know we last few years they've done this week zero thing. Technically, college football gets started, you know, two weekends ago, but uh, week one was this weekend. Most uh, all the teams were in action, and uh, it's always a fun weekend when uh, you know when you can get football going again. And also, uh, you know, you know, last month of uh, MLB season, uh, Braves and Mets are locked into a battle. I think it's going to go down to the wire for the for the division this year. And I know that you are glued to the TV, and you know the Braves play the Athletics. So they got a tough road trip, but they're only a game back behind the Mets. You got Georgia that moved up in the new AP poll. They're now number two, thanks to a dominating win over Oregon, 49-3. to You caught that game, right, Justin? Yeah, I watched a little bit of it. <laughs> no, I did. I watched the whole thing. It was a great game. Um, we, well, for, if you're a Georgia fan, it was a great game. You know, coming in, we didn't know. You know, Georgia lost a lot on their team. You know, 15 players uh, drafted in the NFL draft this past April. And uh, most of those were on defense. Uh, five first rounders on defense went to when it went in the NFL draft. And so, you know, you really there was a lot of names you didn't recognize. The talent we knew was there. Georgia always recruits at a, at a high level. Kirby's recruiting classes have always been top three, just about since um, that's about his second year at Georgia. And so we knew the talent was there. We just didn't know how that was going to translate into games. And getting uh, getting out there, seeing this team in action, man, it looked. It was amazing. Um, you know, uh, Stetson Bennett looked very comfortable. Um, definitely looked like, you know, QB1. It looked really good, converting on third downs. Uh, Georgia had was nine for ten on third down conversions. That's that's crazy. It's almost perfect on third down conversions in this game. Only had to punt once, and that was in the fourth quarter. Uh, so they were pretty much scoring on every drive they had. And uh, they, they just did really good. You know, 571 yards total, 439 passing yards between Stetson Bennett and Carson Beck, who came in towards the end of the third quarter and played the rest of that game. Uh, 132, 100, yeah, 132 rushing yards. So, yeah, it was, it was a very dominant performance. And they had uh, quite a few turnovers, too. I think that was two. We had two picks that turned into points as well. So, but both sides of the ball, defense looked great. They kept Oregon out of the end zone as far as touchdowns go. I mean, the defense looked like it was – I mean, it almost looked like the same defense that we saw last year, just not giving up any points. I noticed that the defense didn't have any sacks, but they'll they'll come, right? Sacks will come. I, I think so. Part of that, too, is, you know, um, 
Bo Nix, he's very mobile for a quarterback. He can move around the pocket, avoid the sacks and, and things like that. So, yeah, there was no sacks. That was maybe the one glaring stat that stood out to me is that he couldn't get, they wasn't getting home to the quarterback. And at some point, they're going to have to do that. But, yeah, Oregon's supposed to be the best offensive line Bo Nix ever had. <laughs> and uh, But Georgia definitely kept him under duress uh, most of the game. Some of the freshmen came in and had a major impact. Malachi Starks with eight tackles and interception. Michael Williams came in and he saw some playing time of which freshman actually stood out to you probably Malachi Starks that was the one that really uh stood out to me I, I it was a name that I heard um coming into the season he was somebody I wanted to watch out for I wanted to see how he played and for him being a freshman coming in and uh playing this the way he did had that crazy acrobatic interception <laughs> that he had in the first first quarter um, he played really good, um, which is something, you know, it was Georgia. That was the one maybe knock against Georgia's team last year. Was the secondary was weak um, with that defense. And so, the, you know, if the, Georgia, if, the de- if the back end of the defense is going to be good and solid like it, like it played, um, then, you know, that, that, that's a huge lift for that, that Georgia defense. One thing that was interesting about Georgia and their 49-3 win is some of these touchdown drives, 12 plays, 85 yards, seven plays, 92 yards, six plays, 56 yards. They were driving the length of the field. They they didn't have a short field. Oregon was moving the ball at first, but Bo Nix did throw those two interceptions. But Georgia's offense was so methodical. It wasn't big plays. It was Stetson Bennett chipping away. And, and why isn't well, let's start. Let's talk about just the incredible seven drives, seven touchdowns. I mean, Oregon, Georgia played flawless. How impressed were you that they didn't really run the football? I mean, Oregon stopped the run, but it was Stetson Bennett just with these screen passes and short right. passes that just moved, kept moving the drive. Right. Stetson did a good job with that. I, th- I thought that game plan was really great. You know, uh, the, when they came out in the first quarter, it was a lot, it was a lot of short passes, just kind of getting his feet wet, getting him comfortable in the offense. Uh, they did take some more medium shots as, as the game went on. They really didn't take too many big shots um, down the field in this game, but I don't really feel like they needed to. Um, the, you know, the fact that they were just moving the ball so efficiently, picking up little chunks of yards here and there and getting down the field. You really didn't have to take those shots. You didn't have to be, you didn't put yourself in a position where you had to go take a 20 yard plus shot down the field to try to make a big play. Um, and so really the, the, it was effective. Um, the running game, it, you know, it is, I think the running game will come as the offensive line gets, gets more comfortable. But I think, I mean, but there were times too when, I mean, Stetson Bennett was back there, and he had all day to throw the ball. So, I mean, the offensive line looked really good at pass blocking. Um, and so, I, you know, even that that, that crazy backyard touchdown uh, pass he had to uh, Lad McConkey um, when he looked like he was going to get sacked, and he kind of scrambled around and then found right at the last second, found McConkey by himself alone in the end zone and may have got a touchdown. You know, they, they did a really good job blocking with that, and that's the beauty of having – uh, the tight ends, you know, we can talk about the tight ends that Georgia has. I mean, that's they, they're the envy of all college football with the tight ends they have. And with those guys, if they're not out there catching passes, I mean, they're just extra blockers out there too, which, which will help the offensive line as well. And so I think the running game will get going for sure. There are playmakers back there. You know, I thought um, McIntosh had a really good game, mainly from catching. He, caught, he had over 100 yards catching, not so many yards on the ground, but I think he – he kind of reminds me a lot more of a back you can throw out into the slot and he'll catch the ball out of the slot a lot, and that may be how they use him. But I do think there is depth back there with that running game, and I think they'll they'll get it going. 
Is this offense better than last year's offense? Uh, no question. This offense is better than last year's offense. Um, I know we got a long way to go, but just with the playmakers that are there, the receivers they have, uh, Kiers Jackson looked healthy for the first time in probably two years out there on the field, looked really good. And uh, having those tight ends, I mean, Brock Bowers, I mean, you didn't have to go to Brock Bowers very much, but Brock Bowers out there, Darnell Washington looked good out there. He was leaping over people. And with him being, you know, six foot seven, or, you know, or how tall he is, he's, you know, he's definitely a mismatch for a lot of linebackers that are trying to cover him. And uh, then behind that, you got uh, Eric Gilbert, um, who was All-American at LSU, transferred here to Georgia, sat out last season, uh, got his first playing time in the Georgia uniform. This year, he kind of played more with the second, the twos and threes later in the game. But I, you'll see him, get, as he gets his feet wet more in this offense, you'll see him be used more. And then we didn't see much of Oscar Delp, uh, the uh, freshman that came in this year, who a lot of people say is a lot like Brock Bowers. <laughs> so... There's so much talent there that those tight ends, like I said, you can use those guys in so many different packages. And you, because these guys are good blocking tight ends too, it confuses the defense. They don't know what these guys are going to do. Are they going to block or run? And they're all different in that, you know, Eric Gilbert can be lined up as a wide receiver. He's that good catch at, at receiving. And Brock Bowers is a, you know, he's so fast. And so really you just got to get the ball in his hands. You can have him run out like a running back or a tailback and uh, just hand him the ball and let him take off. I mean, it's just there's so many ways that you can beat a beat a defense with this these offensive tools that they got. And I'm not even touching all the receivers. Lad McConkey, A.D. Mitchell, I mean, there's so many weapons on this team. If Stetson Bennett can be play as comfortable as he played against Oregon and the offensive line gives him time, this offense can be very, very good and definitely put up big numbers um, better than it was last year. Why isn't Stetson Bennett considered in, in the race for the Heisman? It's it's because of the look. I mean, he's and plus he's a walk on. We get enamored with the stars after recruits' names, you know, and stuff. And because Stetson Bennett wasn't a four or five star coming into college because he had such a windy road, and and he does. You kind of look at him and like he doesn't look like a you know starting quarterback for a D one school like Georgia. I mean, he, you know, he looks more like a punter, <laughs> to be honest with you. And uh, but he's he's got all the confidence in the world. And like he talked about, you know, he, he said in an interview, I, I think I heard on college game day that morning, um, he said, you know, you got to be confidence, but also maybe a little bit of stupidity, too, and stubbornness of just like I'm going to do it. I want to stick here and I'm going to make my mark here. And that's what he's done. He's already won a national championship, played really well. He put up better numbers than some of the quarterbacks that are in the Heisman race this year, at least in week one. I mean, we still got a long way to go, a lot of football to play. But I think that's part of it. And there's been there's been a lot of knocks on his on his deep ball that he can't throw a deep ball. I think he can. I, I, I mean, I've seen him throw some deep balls and they're not bad, you know, but he may not have as strong an arm as some some other quarterbacks out there. Bryce Young or some of those guys. But he's really good quarterback. He's very smart. He does his homework. He puts the work in it. It's not a five-star that's behind him that's literally, you know, that he could get yanked for at any second. He's really separated himself from the other um, highly recruited quarterbacks that are in Georgia's QB room. Justin, I know we talked a couple of weeks about the schedule and what game could be the games you got to look out for. Georgia might mm-hmm. trip up if they make the big mistakes. After seeing Florida beat Utah and what mm-hmm. Anthony Richardson did – that he could just take over a game by himself. I think Florida can, can now be a tough out. I think that Georgia-Florida game on October 29th could be one of those games where, of course, Georgia's going to be favored, but you're going to be glued in front of the TV because 
Florida has always been a tricky team, and I think Anthony Richardson is that type of quarterback that learned from his mistakes last year in the Georgia-Florida game. He could be a matchup nightmare for Georgia. He could be. He's he's very talented quarterback. We saw that last year when he was a freshman. This year, I, I feel like um, this coaching staff that Billy Napier has put together is, is really going to unlock his potential more so than maybe Dan Mullen did the year before. And I think also just the just the maturation he's going through. I didn't get a chance to watch all that Florida-Utah game, but he played very well. The numbers look really good for him. And, yeah, he's, he's going to be a matchup nightmare for any team he plays because he's that good. Um, he's got the legs that can beat you. He's got a good arm. And, um, you know, the, the one question I do have about, about Florida is, you know, Billy Napier being his first year, he doesn't have all his players in place. He wants um, the, the, the depth to be a problem getting late into a game, especially playing a team like Georgia who rotates so many players in and out, and there's not really a drop-off between the players that are coming in and some of these backups. You know, there's not much of a drop-off in them. And so that could be a, the issue uh, with Florida maybe late in the game where Georgia can pull away from them. But, yeah, it's going to be a – the cocktail party down in Florida is always a hostile environment. It's always a lot of, a lot of Georgia fans, a lot of Gator fans down there. Um, and yeah, that game has been tricky for us in the past. I feel like we're kind of past that part of, you know, in Georgia where we, where we, you know, have a better team and go lay an egg against a team like Florida. But yeah, I mean, any team, you got to be ready for every team you play every single week um, because it is. I mean, even though it's, you might be favored and the media may think you're better, you still got to go out there and prove it on the field that you're a better team. Switching gears, let's talk about Major League Baseball, the Atlanta Braves. The Mets are taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates tonight. The Atlanta Braves are all the way in Oakland. And uh, first pitch is going to be at 940 tonight. Uh, Justin, you going to stay up and try to watch this game? I'll probably be up. I'll probably start watching it. We'll see how, how it goes. If the Braves jump out to a big lead, then uh, I might, um, I, you know, my, my head my head, head to bed or something like that. But, um We'll see. I mean, I'll definitely watch most of the game. Sometimes I'll say, like, oh, I'll watch a few innings, and then next thing I know, I'll get into it, and I'll just stay up and watch the whole game when they're on the West Coast anyway. But, um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to try to catch out this, catch the series. Mets and uh, Pirates are supposed to play yesterday. That game got ringed out. They're playing the doubleheader tomorrow, so the Braves are still one game back of the Mets. So, obviously, if Braves could pull off a win tonight and Mets were to lose, uh, we would go into tomorrow with, with a tie at the top of the standings. Um, things are getting really interesting here. You know, I, I don't know if it was much of a, you know, I, it's, it's weird. You know, baseball is just such a weird sport sometimes. You know, the Mets were at home, played the Dodgers, took two out of three from the Dodgers. You know, people were riding high thinking, well, this is it. You know, the Mets have got to pass this. they got an easy schedule in September. They're just going to coast, you know, to, the, to, the, to, the, to winning the division. The Braves have to play Seattle this weekend. They're a very good team. Got to go out to San Francisco, and you can't overlook the Giants, no matter how bad they're playing right now. And so a lot of people thought that the Braves might stumble. Mets would kind of coast. But then they, you know, they, they get Washington in, in town, and you think, oh, this is, a, you know, Washington's a last-place team. And then Washington steps up and takes two out of three from the Mets. And so – and the Braves sweep the Marlins and pull within the game. And so it's – the race is definitely not over. And honestly, I, I think this thing could go down to the final week, second to last three games now between the Braves and the Mets at, at Truist Park at the end of the month. Could be big. Those could be the deciding games for the, for the division when we get there. And they do have another home series with the Nationals, the Phillies, mm-hmm. and a three-game series with the Mets toward the end of the month. So you're right. It could definitely go down to the wire. And this is really what it's all about is, is the Braves are – 
are going to make the postseason, but they want to try to get that number two seed. I don't think right. anybody's catching the Dodgers. I think they have the number one seed. But, you know, the right. Dodgers, they got a lot of injuries. Walker Bueller is going to be out. He was their big-time postseason pitcher. Clayton Kershaw has always been iffy in the postseason. Uh, mm-hmm. They do have Julio Urias, Brett Anderson, Tony Gonsolin, who just came out of nowhere and has been their best pitcher. You look at the Braves pitching, because you've talked about on the show how the Braves pitching can match up with anybody in the postseason. How important is it to get that number two seed? Because if they're able to get past the Mets or the Cardinals, the Dodgers could be right there at the NLCS and ready to go. Right. And I, I think the Braves pitching matches very well with the Dodgers. I do too. I, I think our pitching matches up really well with them right now. I think the biggest hole in, in the Dodgers armor is their bullpen right now. Um, they've had a lot of injuries back there to the bullpen. Um, they've been using Kimbrell as their closer. He hasn't been as solid as maybe, you know, as, as the Craig Kimbrell we know from the past at, you know, was as closer. And so that's been kind of their Achilles heel a little bit when it comes to the Dodgers. But, yeah, I think the starting rotation matches up really well. Um, and I would take our starting pitching right now against just about any anybody else. Um, I mean, I know the Mets have the big one-two punch with Scherzer and DeGrom, and you have to give them the nod get a head-to-head matchup with those guys on the mound. But, you know, Freed, Wright, uh, Spencer Strider, who, you know, who broke the, the single-game strikeout record for the Braves set by John Smoltz, you know, last time he pitched was 16 Ks, and even Charlie Morton bringing that up at the end. I mean, this is it's just a solid four guys you can take into the postseason with you uh, there to pitch. Um, and so it's I would take those four guys just about against anybody in a in a short series, particularly. Um, I like I like our chances to at least try to get back to the NLCS. But yeah, winning winning the division, and getting that number two seed, is absolutely huge because you get to skip that round, you get a few extra days to rest, which is obviously huge this time of year to give your guys a little extra rest. And on top of that, you get to start, you know, you're starting in the division series. You get to line your rotation up the way you want it in the division series, which is, which, whereas if you're playing somebody, you know, like the Mets or Phillies or San Diego and, and, and they, they played in that wild card series. So, or St. Louis for that matter, if they played in that wild card series, they've already used their, at least their top two pitchers, if not their, not their first three in that best two out of three series. And so now they're kind of starting with maybe their third or fourth starter, whereas you're throwing your ace out there in game one. So it lines you up better to try to advance, you know, into the postseason. I mean, also, I think it just works out better for the Braves' favor if they can avoid the if they can push the Mets and have them play in that wild card series. Because if they were, if they play in that wild card series and, you know, let's, you know, let's say the Cardinals advance out of their series, the Braves would play the Cardinals two versus three seed, and then the, the Mets would have to go play the Dodgers. So you put those two teams that have been number one, number two most of the season, they got to play each other. So they're going to knock one or the other out, and then you only have to play the other team. And I'm not trying to discount the Cardinals. The Cardinals are playing amazing right now. You don't want to overlook them. They have been on a, on a tear. They've really separated themselves from the Brewers. They took two out of three from the Braves. Um a couple of weekends ago, uh, the Braves had some back end back end bullpen issues. Uh, with the, Jansen blew a save, as well as Mentor gave up a go ahead home run in the eighth inning of one of those games too. But uh, but yeah, the Cardinals are playing great too. So I'm not trying to dismiss what they're doing or make them sound like they're going to be an easy out in the in the po- in the uh, postseason. But just having the Mets and Dodgers play each other 
be it'd be a better road for the Braves not having to go through both of those teams to get back to the World Series. All right, Justin, NFL Week One, you got the Atlanta Falcons taking on the New Orleans Saints in Atlanta. The fifty-three man roster has been finalized. Justin, I got to ask you: Have you heard about the story of wide receiver Jared Bernhardt? I have not. Tell me about it. Okay, so. This guy was a lacrosse player, and he made the Atlanta Falcons 53-man roster. I mean, we know that they are very thin at wide receiver. I mean, especially with Calvin really being suspended. But I'm looking at the depth chart, and they have a Drake London who's still injured. But, you know, he might be a go. You got Omalai Zacchaeus, Byron Edwards. Those are your starting wide receivers. Of course, Cordell Patterson is a running back. They have Tyler Algier, the rookie from BYU, and Damian Williams, the running mm-hmm. back. I actually think it's fascinating that this guy made the team. I mean, it, it's it's incredible. But we'll see how he plays. And uh, what do you think? I mean, the Saints are a, a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I know we were picking the games a couple of weeks ago. But what does the Falcons need to do to get the victory over New Orleans and Atlanta on Sunday? Well, I think they, you know, I think they need to establish a good running game first. Um, and, you know, it's early on in the game. Get Mariota his first, you know, first action as a Falcon, get him comfortable, maybe with some short passes uh, to get the offense moving, as well as get the running game going as well. Um, I think that'll be key to getting some points on the board early against the Saints. But I do, I think this game is very winnable for the Falcons. Um, I like what I've seen in preseason with them, especially from the ones. I know they haven't been out there too terribly long in the preseason, but, you know, and I know. Sometimes, you know, defense doesn't maybe play as hard as they would in regular game. But I like what I've seen so far from the ones in this team. And, I, and it's, it's a good young roster. Um, it's definitely got some potential. And so I, I think that the team just needs to play, you know, play with some energy, play with some heart, um, and just feel like they uh, feel like they, you know, they belong out there with a team like the Saints. You know, and I think that they won't have any trouble getting up for it. You know, the Falcons the Saints have always been a rivalry. No matter how good or bad those teams have been, you always want to beat your rival. So I think that the players, they, they know what's at stake. They, you know, a little bit of bragging rights early in the season by trying to beat one of the other ones. So, and with it being a division game, it's all that is that much important too to get off on a good, good first step. You're absolutely right, Justin. We both picked the Falcons to finish nine and eight. And I'm going to stand by that pick. I think that the Falcons actually get it done this week. I'm just excited that NFL football is back. Uh, Justin, you play fantasy football? I do. I do. I just uh, I had one draft on Saturday and I had another one yesterday. So some of the players I have, I got Kyle Pitts as my tight end. Mm-hmm. And I got Debo Samuel. I actually picked Debo Samuel with my first pick. And I've got Travis Ntien. I think that he might have a bounce back year after being injured last year. Uh, right. The running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I went a little sleeper on the like they weren't ranked high in my fantasy draft. I picked up George Pickens and James Cook. Nice, those are good picks. I think George Pickens could have a breakout year with the Steelers. I- George Pickens would have been a number one pick in this year's draft if he wasn't tore his ACL because he was already trending that way before last season and, and, and the injury and just the lack of playing time just pushed him down. But I, I knew whoever drafted. Pickens was wanting to steal, you know, because he's very talented, very talented young man, and he's going to do some good, some great things in the NFL. He's got the personality for it. He's got leadership skills. He knows, you know, he's been on a winning program like Georgia, so he knows what it takes to win. So, I do think that the uh, Steelers got themselves a, a really good pick there, and and Pickens, but he's got to, you know, obviously he's got to got to step on the field and prove it. 
Also, I, I think that James Cook will end up being the starting running back for Buffalo. And I think he's a weapon, not only out in the backfield, but he could catch some screen passes from Josh Allen. I can't wait to see him uh, this Thursday night as the Buffalo Bills will take on the Rams. It's good to get some, like I said, college football starting this past weekend. NFL's going to be starting this coming weekend. It's a good good time of year, man. It's my favorite time. Football season, baseball's getting ready to wrap up. Postseason baseball's coming in a month. So this is like Christmas for me. This is best time of the year. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. This is where, like, I get on my show and I, I could just go talk for at least a half an hour to an hour about football. It's just incredible. And I can't wait for these games to get started. We get ready for week two in college football, and uh, we're we're back. This is the best time of the year for me. I, I'm really excited that you're able to come on the show and, and, and talk a little Falcons, Braves, Georgia football. It's always a pleasure every time you come on the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me, and always fun to do it. All right, that was Justin Dale. He's uh, the resident Georgia Falcons, Braves, uh, just everything up in Atlanta, representing the ATL very well. And uh, I, I got to say this, Justin, I, I do miss Atlanta. I've been living in Columbus for seven years, and uh, I miss you guys up there, man. I, I, one of these days, who knows? I might move back up there. I, you just never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know where where the wind will blow and where life will take you. Yeah, that is definitely true. But thanks again, Justin, and uh, definitely we'll have you back on uh, shortly. Thanks, Richard. Always a pleasure. All right, that's it. That's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and downloading and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Hope everybody has a great rest of your day, and we're out of here. Bye. You've been listening to the Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.